and welcome to the Michigan Murders. I'm Laura. And I'm Stephanie. I think I'm first this time. Alrighty. And this this one is another one of those older ones that I found that I discovered so much about the UP I did not realize before. This one that I'm calling Despicable Daniel Dunn. And this guy's a piece of work. It's it's something. And before I get into the main story, there's some background information. This is like the Wild West of the Upper Peninsula. And specifically, this took place around Sini. Now known by Youpers as the Sini Stretch. I don't know if you've ever been on it. Mm-mm, I don't think so. It's 25 miles of just a straight line. On M28 between Sini and Shingleton, as you're heading either from the Munising Market area, say you want to come to Sault Ste. Marie, you're going to have to pass that. Or if you're going from, you know, kind of the other way. Like whenever we want to go to Marquette, that's the way we got to take. It's just 25 miles of woods and swamp and wildlife refuge, and it makes that part of the drive feel like the longest you know 25 miles of your life mm-hmm. <laughs> so in the 1880s and 90s the upper peninsula had an abundance of lumberjacks and if you remember the story of the mcdonald cousins from episode two mm-hmm. you know those guys got a bit crazy <laughs> yeah. they loved their brothels and their bars so the story is no different in the 1890s Sini, the tiny town that it is. I don't even know how to explain it. I don't even know if there's a stoplight there. I don't think so. I think you can just go through. Had 21 taverns and three brothels just in Sini. There were more like in in the town outside of it. One of the most lavish of the brothels was the Grand Inn, which I'll kind of get back to later. Lawlessness was the norm as the court in Manistique was too far away for smaller matters. So a smaller informal system served the community and usually took place somewhere like the back of a bar. As it does. (laughs) You know, things like larceny, drunken disorderlies, and other smaller matters, uh, basically anything less than murder, was handled by the locals. Because of this, the smaller crimes usually went unpunished or the sentences were lenient, meaning the system could be manipulated easily for those with power. And the, the, this part I was just completely astounded by. The judge and prosecutor were nominated by those attending, and juries were chosen from the same crowd. This totally reminds me of the Pixar movie Cars, where, yeah. where they, they actually have a judge, but then, like, Mater somehow becomes Lightning McQueen's lawyer. It's kind of like that in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's just terrible. Um, The defendant would usually be their own lawyer. Uh, The prosecutor would present some form of evidence and the jury would decide if they were innocent or guilty and the judge would give the sentence. So as you can imagine, smaller town, you'd probably be found guilty a lot, especially with no actual lawyer. (laughs) And, And just people chosen from a bar crowd are part of that case. Right. 
There was no real legality behind it, but people tended to go with it. Rape was considered more serious, and that was met with something called watering, where the rapist was bound with a rope and brought to the nearby Fox River and was told to undress. After each piece of... Beef, <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Uh, after each piece of clothing was removed, he would be lashed with a switch. And this continued after he was naked and then forced to cross the river. When he got to the other side, he had to find his own shelter and clothes and was banished from Sini. So that might be embarrassing and painful, but I mean, things could have been worse, honestly. Yeah. So now that we know kind of how that was all handled, uh, we can get to Daniel Dunn, a bar and brothel owner who came from Roscommon. And this, he wasn't known to smoke or drink or curse. However, the fact that he ran a saloon and a brothel and was disliked by many says something about his character. And that's even before we get into the ton of shit that Dunn was into and the things that he did. Dunn left Ross Common after a warrant was issued for his arrest, and after leaving, paid someone to burn down his Ross Common brothel to get insurance money. He was able to build his senior businesses with that money, along with some he borrowed from a druggist in Ross Common, who he did not want to pay back, so he just didn't. The druggist attempted multiple times to contact Dunn, who never responded. Eventually, the druggist got tired of no response, so he showed up in Sini. Upon arrival, Dunn told him he had recently discovered a bog ore in an island swamp, and he could get money from that. Dunn brought the man to the site to show him, and when the man was inspecting the ore, Dunn shot him in the back of his head, dumped his body in the bog, and then covered him with branches. Though the remains were later found, Dunn was never prosecuted for the murder. The man who burnt the brothel down in Roscommon didn't do much better because he kept coming back to Dunn for more money. Since Dunn knew if the man spent it on booze, he might start talking and possibly bragging about the arson. So Dunn took him on a trip to the island swamp, where Dunn shot that man in the back of the head. He went back to Sini to get a shovel and then buried that man in the swamp. Again, Dunn was never prosecuted. And this was something the people in the area kind of knew about him, but for some reason, nothing happened. Just didn't care. No. I, I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like, I think it was probably rumors, but I don't know if they just didn't have proof or if he was that scary of a dude. In Sini, another bar was owned by the Harcourt brothers and were known for being tough and not backing down. Yet, they were liked and did not like Dunn. In June 1891, 21-year-old Steve Harcourt entered Dunn's saloon and tried to order a drink. Dunn said, no goddamn Harcourt can drink in my saloon. So that, I mean, the, the no cursing thing that I read earlier does not match up with this quote. So right. I'm not sure where they got that from. Anger words were exchanged until Dunn smashed a whiskey bottle over Harcourt's head before Dunn grabbed a gun from under the bar and shot Harcourt in the face. Harcourt tried to fire back. Somehow he did not die from that, but... Uh, Harcourt tried to fire back, but Dunn fired again and shot him in the abdomen. 
Still not dead, Harcourt staggered out into the street to be found by his eight-year-old nephew who helped him to Harcourt's mother's house where he died a few days later. Oh my god. So, completely brutal and in front of people. Dunn was arrested for manslaughter and brought to Manistique, where it was dismissed because the judge said it was a matter of self-defense. Which is total bullshit. <laughs> like, self-defense that you smashed a bottle over his head and then shot him. And then he tries right. to fire back, but that's self-defense, even though you made the first move. Right. It's a terrible judge. Apparently, the brothers drew straws as to who had to get retribution, and Jim Harcourt was chosen. Knowing the other Harcourt brothers would be after him for revenge, Dunn fled to St. Ignace, where he had a peacekeeping warrant issued on the Harcourt brothers to prevent them from any violence. The warrant was brought to Sini by Sheriff Dennis Hefram, and the Harcourt brothers went to Trout Lake with him to get on the train to Manistique for the court hearing. And here's where it gets even more off the wall. While in Trout Lake, the brothers went to a local tavern, who happened to be on the second floor of the tavern but Dunn and his wife. After seeing the brothers enter the tavern from his room window, he grabbed his revolver and went down to the bar. Dunn pulled his gun, but not before Jim Harcourt fired four shots into him, with one hitting Dunn in the heart, ending his life. Immediately, Jim Harcourt turned himself over to the sheriff. Because the location of the murder was in Chippewa County, it was tried with a different judge in Sault Ste. Marie. At Harcourt's trial, Sini residents showed up to support him. However, the judge found him guilty and sentenced him to over seven years in prison. What? Yeah, right? And that was an actually self-defense fight. Yeah, so the actual self-defense was murder, but the murder, oh my God. that judge that said self-defense. so mad. I was furious reading the story. So seven years in prison, actually in Marquette, was where he was sent. When asked by the judge what he had to say, Harcourt said, I am sure that Dan will not kill any more of my brothers. <laughs> Dude. So, I mean, he's not wrong. No. And Jim Harcourt was a model prisoner. And he was pardoned by the governor after serving three years and was greeted by a crowd upon his return. Good. So that's how much everyone hated Daniel Dunn. Wow. Yeah. Harcourt was later elected to township supervisor, deputy okay. sheriff, and conservation officer. Eventually, Jim Harcourt and his family, his wife and children, moved to Houghton Lake where he ran a gravel pit until his death. And this whole story just makes me mad. Because piece of shit done just killed people and got away with it. And Jim Harcourt was actually defending himself and was sent to prison. And I, I think if he had that Manistee judge instead, it might have gone way differently. Different. I don't know if that Sault Ste. Marie one just did not have the background. <laughs> like I'm assuming that's probably what it was. Whoever, yeah, like whoever defended him didn't do a good job. Because that was totally self-defense when the guy sees you coming, comes down the stairs with a gun, and then tries to shoot you. Yeah. And it was probably all because he had that peacekeeping warrant thing filed that they were supposed to go to the hearing of. 
the, the reason, which is probably what they looked into and said, oh, well, this was going against you. So yeah. obviously you did this. Yeah. Never mind that. The only reason Dunn even had that was because he was a chicken shit and didn't want what was coming to him. And he totally would have killed that brother if he had gotten a chance. Oh, yeah. Like, he was going for it. And he probably would have yeah, gotten away with that Yeah, and he'd like, oh, too. he came here after me. It was totally self-defense again. Never mind that I've killed multiple people and burned my bar down. Like, whatever. So that was from the book Murder in Michigan's Upper Peninsula by Sunny Longtime. Which a lot of my stories come from that because it's, it's an excellent book. <laughs> the resources of, hey, you want to read about murder in the UP? Here you go. Right. Mine is pretty brutal and, like, just terrible all around. On the afternoon of December 21, 2002, Marco Pesce, Pesce, an Italian immigrant who owned Italia jewelry in Livonia, took his three young children, Carlo, Sabrina, and Melissa, to visit their mother, Diane Pesce who is in a residential drug treatment facility in Ann Arbor. After picking up the children from their visit, Marco then dropped them off at his home in Livonia at about 5.30 or 5.40 p.m., returning to work at approximately 6 or 6.15. Marco's mother, Maria Vergati, who was visiting the family from Italy, was at the Pesci home at the time and Marco did not go inside his home when he dropped off the children. Shortly after, Marco arrived back at work, where Carlo called and told him to come home because Melissa had fallen and chipped her tooth. Marco left work immediately and returned home. The next day, Marco, his three children, and his mother were discovered dead in their home. Mm. They had each been shot to death on December 21st, 2002. The house had been ransacked and the family safe had been emptied of jewelry and cash. The evidence showed that Dennis Lincoln and John Wolfenberger carefully planned and prepared to rob Marco Pesci at his home. Lincoln had a written statement to the police explaining his role in the crimes and describing how he and Wolfenberger planned and prepared to commit their crimes. Lincoln admitted that on December 19, 2002, just three days or two days before the deaths, he and Wolfenbarger in separate cars communicated by cell phone as they stalked uh, Marco Pesci and watched Italia Jewelry. They attempted to follow Marco home, but could not tell which driveway he turned into. The next evening on December 20, Lincoln and Wolfenbarger followed Marco home again. This time, they succeeded in figuring out the location of Marco's home. According to Lincoln, on December 21st, he and Wolfenberger bought a clipboard, delivery receipts, and a teddy bear so they could pose as delivery men to gain access to the Pesci family home. Using a teddy bear? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, really gross. They also borrowed a pickup truck from Wolfenberger's friend to use when they committed the robbery. According to Lincoln, late in the afternoon of December 21st, Wolfenberger drove the truck to the Pesci home, parked it in the driveway, and got out with a teddy bear and approached Vergari, who was in the garage. 
According to Lincoln, Wolfenberger put his hand in his coat pocket, which contained a 380 pistol, and Wolfenberger and Brigatti went inside the home. Lincoln claimed that Wolfenberger made a gesture with his hand, so Lincoln left the Pesci home in the pickup truck and drove to Italia Jewelry to watch for Marco. Lincoln and Wolfenberger were communicating by cell phone at this time. According to Lincoln, Wolfenberger told him that he had told Carlo to call Marco at work and to tell him that one of his sisters chipped her tooth to lure Marco home. Lincoln claimed, claimed, that he fell asleep while he was sitting in the parked truck waiting for Marco. Lincoln further, quote-unquote, claimed, in my opinion, that he awakened at 6.21 p.m., and then drove to the Pesci home and picked up Wolfenberger. Lincoln asserted that when Wolfenberger got into the truck, he stated, Five dead, bro. What the hell? Like, that's how you... Yeah. That's so gross. Lincoln and Wolfenberger then returned to the, tr the truck to Wolfenberger's friend and brought bags containing items from the Pesci home to somebody called Tracy Letts home. I'm not sure who that person is. It never, from what I could find, it never fully went into detail on that. It just told me a name, which is weird. Hmm. Lincoln denied being the shooter and claimed that he simply dropped off and picked up Wolfenberger at the Pesci home. He also stated that Wolfenberger had said he did not need a gun because he wouldn't be going into the Pesci home anyway. Hmm. So... I swear, I didn't even bring a gun because he told me I wasn't going to need it and I wasn't going to be going in. Mm, he did everything. Yeah, right. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I don't really. <laughs> okay. Right. One guy subdued and killed five people while you were just sleeping in your in a yeah. truck? Bullshit. Sorry. I, I claim bullshit. Pesci wasn't the first jeweler that Lincoln and Waffenberger stalked, apparently. Multiple jewelers from Garden City, Dearborn, and Livonia were also targeted. Oh, wow. Yeah. Lincoln and Wolfenberger were former prisoners that had been released. And this was where it starts, like, even uh -oh. more so yeah. anger me. Dennis, and, Dennis Lincoln's rap sheet showed that he had previously robbed a gas station at gunpoint and spent eight years in prison. In his prison record, it shows misconduct and poor adjustment while in custody. He was labeled as a high-risk factor on his parole el eligibility sheet. Whoa. That. The records also show mm, several improvements in attitude and participation in father-nurturing classes. Oh, my gosh. So he was released from prison. Yeah, good reason, sure. Right. Right. Parole records show that two days after the Pesci family is murdered, Lincoln checks in with his PO and reports no problems. Oh, no. No problems at all. No. Nah, Just a little murder. None, man. Just, you know. What's five dead? Yeah. You know, no problems. Nothing important. John... Just a little murder. Right. John Wolfenberger, on the other hand? Well, hmm. <laughs> Wolfenberger was in the headlines in 1989 at 18 years old when he robbed several homes while many of the families were inside. Oh. Sound familiar? Again, he stole cash and jewelry, surprise, surprise, yeah. and is sent to prison. 
where he escapes from prison. Holy shit, what? And commits more crimes while on the run. And then he's eventually caught and serves more time. And they paroled that man. Yeah. According to the parole eligibility sheet, Wolfenberger is listed as middle to high risk. But despite his long rap sheet and his escape, he was released. Such bullshit. All of this could have been avoided. Wow. And that just makes it even like more angering. Lincoln and Wolfenberger met while serving time at the Boyer Correctional Facility in Carson City. Once out, they reunite, and it took them five days to plot to pull off the murders. John Wolfenberger and Dennis Lincoln were charged with five counts each of premeditated murder and felony murder. They were also charged with armed robbery, home invasion, being a felon in possession of a firearm, and using a firearm during the commission of a felony. Wolfenberger's uncle, William Smith, testified in a preliminary hearing that he went to the police after his nephew came to his home late on the night of the killings, looking for a change of clothes and bragging that something he did would be shown on CNN. Oh my gosh. They ended up um, being convicted of murder in the robbery of $3,200 in jewelry from the safe. Oh my God. Five dead, three children dead, over $3,200 and some jewelry. That's awful. Separate juries found the men guilty and they face mandatory life sentences without the possibility of parole this time. But the way this could have all been avoided, if you paid attention to the eligibility sheet, they're high risk. One of them would escape and commit more crimes. Why do you think letting him out is going to be good? Like even when he escaped prison and that's the time you want to maybe lay low so you don't go back. He just decides to more robberies. Yeah. With people home. Right. Not even trying to be sneaky about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Apparently they had like watched the shop for days. For just watching him leave come in seeing how much jewelry so they just assumed cornering at him at his home they're gonna find a bunch of jewels and cash if you're gonna rob a jeweler maybe rob the jewelry store (laughs) i mean that's more work with the cameras and stuff but then at least you're not you know murdering a family and children to get thirty two hundred dollars It's so gross. Yeah, that's ridiculous. But that is all that I could find on them. (sighs) Yikes. Sounds like the kids have uh, moved closer to you yet again. (laughs) As soon as you started, they were right back outside the door. Oh my God. (laughs) Children. And my neighbors have apparently decided to wake wake up. Uh, I can't talk. So that's fun. I could hear them. That's why, that's why I had a little bit of, like, of a pause in between some of my words. <laughs> I saw that. Because I could hear it, and I'm like, okay, this is going to be easier for her to, like, edit out if I take a moment. Yeah, I could hear every <laughs> so once in a while. You'd, you'd stop and it'd be like, thump! Okay. <laughs> well, at least these ones that. waited until it was your turn, and I can just mute 
<laughs> right. And they're making noise outside the door. That's why I wasn't so worried. I was like, well, that that end would be easy for her. Yeah. My end, I'll just try to take pauses. Yeah. My, mom got, my mom got a video last night after Joey was asleep of what the upstairs neighbors were doing. Oh. And you can hear, like, thunk, thunk, thunk. And then you look and you, the whole, like, our um, our ceiling fan. Oh, no. It was, like, shaking. Oh, yeah. No, real bad. She definitely sent that video to the office. Yeah. And was like, do something. <laughs> well, they they never have parents home. Oh. And I don't even know if the kids go to school at this point, because when Joey's in school, I can still hear them up there. That's really all sad. All kinds of ages. And you can hear the voices. It's all different types of ages. Teens, middle school, toddler. The heck? So... And the parents are, like, never there. It's horrifying. The the new latchkey kids. Yeah. Just lock them in an apartment. Yeah. Terrorize your neighbors. (laughs) But that's how you're going to get caught, because you're angry neighbors. Yeah. I mean, when we got older, we were left home alone in the summer. But we were also, we lived in the woods. And, uh, and when I, there weren't really neighbors we could terrorize. I was usually only left alone. It was when, in my teens. And I was so quiet. And, like, we didn't even have, like, upstairs or downstairs neighbors. We weren't in an apartment. I literally just sat in the living room and, like, watched TV or played video games. I was just, like, minded my own business. Yeah. I didn't sit there jumping around like a psycho. Well, instead, she yells at her ceiling and shakes her fist. Yeah, <laughs> instead, I I went for bike rides by myself onto a small campground where I could have been kidnapped and murdered at any moment. So you know <laughs> that <laughs> that, was... that too. Not the smartest move ever, but right. I survived it. I just think back now and I'm like, oh god, <laughs> it was just a young, <laughs> young blonde child. Oh yeah, I know. And you were like the most adorable little blonde girl. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that would have been like. How was I not kidnapped? Because there were many times I came on like going on the trail that I like to go down to where the this like beaver pond area thing was. Mm -hmm. And there would just be a random man walking by himself through (laughs) this cute little blonde child. Nobody around. around. In the forest by myself. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, don't uh, don't let your kids do that, folks. <laughs> yeah. Of course, Could end up very differently. My parents did not know because they were working, and I was, and my sister would go off and do her own thing because she was, you know, a teenager and didn't want anything to do with me. She had her own friends. <laughs> Every once in a while, I'd just be like, "I'm going by myself to the woods." <laughs> on a hiking trail maybe don't maybe don't do that <laughs> oh. so anyway something good for this week I'm I leave my work trip on Wednesday and I'll say where I went and how it went for the next <laughs> recording yeah. so so I'm not giving you a hello people I'm telling you exactly this is where, where I'm, I'm going, going to be on this date yes. this time 
case you want to kidnap me. Um, here's, here's where I'll be, and I'm getting on a plane, so I can't bring any weapons with me. So, in case in case anybody's listening to this podcast, just for tips, yeah, we're not going to tell you our locations. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't need that in my life. Plus, no. I'm. I mean. I don't know if me being chunky works for or against me, because I'd be harder to drag away. But also, I can't run as fast. But, so. But also, it puts the lotion on its skin, <laughs> or else it gets the hose again. <laughs> puts the lotion in the basket. It like it, it that he liked Buffalo Bill enjoyed us full figured women. Well, yeah, for so our back skin. I, <laughs> That's the only thing that I think of where I'm like, ah, oh, well, I'm fat. Nobody will mess with me. But then I'm like, well, we have soft. There are some soft back skin. Apparently, I do have great back skin. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, I will say my good news is I'm going to have Wednesday, Thursday, Friday off. Party. (laughs) Not really. I mean, kind of. Thursday, we're celebrating Joey's birthday. I need to be home for that. So it's going to be nice. So Thursday, I'll be busy. But Wednesday and Friday, I can definitely record. Yeah. Easily. I get there... It's supposed to be early Wednesday, and it's three hours behind. So I don't. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, it'll be like early in the morning. Last night was a nightmare, though. Yeah, I saw your Facebook post for the only server. Only server. Yeah. There was two of us scheduled, and the other one called out. So it was only going to be me and one girl that had been there for the first shift said that she would stay to help out for a while, but you know, she couldn't close. So like eight, nine o'clock, she was going to have to leave. So they're like, okay, we got her until then. I'm like, okay, but you realize like after they gone, I'm still alone. Like, yeah, like, we close at 11. What aren't you like? What's <laughs> not, you know, connecting, guys. Yeah. And then... Like, um, maybe put a sign on the door that you're going to close early since you know that. <laughs> right. But the manager that is on duty on those Sunday nights doesn't like to admit defeat when he screws up. Oh. And so he would rather me deal with it than him deal with it. See, this is why people quit and they can't get people to work <laughs> That part. And then um, we the other girl, there was another girl who they put in my section. I, I worked in the lounge bar area because that was, you know, I made the most money that I have ever made here. Oh, wow. Last night. So there is that. Shocking. Because I really didn't think I was going to make much because it was bad. Yeah. And, but a lot of my tables apparently felt bad. <laughs> and I was busy. Yeah. So... I, you know, one guy even gave me 20 bucks cash and they didn't, it was just him and his buddy. It was two younger guys and normally the younger guys don't tip, Yeah, but he had 
all the reason to not tip me at all. Yeah. Like, they were my last table there, and I had just in front of them went, as soon as they walked in, the, the hostess was walking up, and she had just sat me so many tables. Like, my area was full. I was already, I had so much food backed up in the back because we didn't have a QA person. And the QA person stands there, and when the food comes up, they check to make sure that it's correct to the order, and then they either bring it out to your table or tell you, hey, your order's up, bring this out to the table. We didn't have one of them either. We also didn't have a bartender. <laughs> oh, my gosh. My manager had to make my bar drinks. It was like that. Yikes. And he wasn't doing well. And my tables weren't happy with the bar drinks they were being given. So there's that, too. Oh. Um, <clears throat> but as soon, like I was like, hey, I can't right now. I've got a lot of backed up food. She just act like I didn't speak, grabbed two menus and was like, right over here. And I had other tables that literally just saw happen. I said, or just ignore me and seat me anyways when I can't handle it. Got it. I turned around and I walked to the back. I was like, mm. And like my tables were like, ooh. <laughs> like they, they were all nice to me though. They could tell. They were like, you're having it. Have a good night. I was like, yeah. They're like, you were great. Thank you so much. I'm like, well, thank you. <laughs> like they were really nice. But those guys sat down and I immediately brought over their silverware and I said, Hey guys, sorry, just to let you know, I am the only server on tonight. And they all looked at me like wide eyed. I was like, so I'm not trying to ignore you. Um, I just want to let you know, I'm usually better than this, but I've got like a whole bunch of food backed up in there. So it's going to be a minute before I can get out here and take your order. I just want to let you know, I'm not ignoring you. I, I know you're here. I can be with you eventually, but right now I've, I've really got to get this food out. And they're like, okay, no problem. It was probably 20 to 30 minutes before I could get to them to even take their order. Wow. Because I, I had tables. Two of those tables were parties. Oh, and all no. the food was backed up there. I had to get the food. Like, I, and I'm by myself. Yeah. My manager's like screwing off somewhere. Yeah, maybe the, bring the food out to the tables. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes, what's wrong? Why, why are you unhappy? And when I tell him, he's like, you shouldn't be unhappy. You're fine. Okay. <laughs> oh, I was not happy. I'd be and like, all right, how about you get your ass out and help me or I leave right now and you're by yourself. One, like, and the thing is, too, is one guy ordered, one of the those guys ordered an appetizer and a dessert and the other guy ordered like a really easy like little meal and yeah. a dessert. And so they didn't have a lot and it was split up and they had their drinks like... It was less than 20 bucks a piece. Yeah. And they handed me 20 bucks cash and was like, here, he, or he was like, he hands me and I thought he was paying for his check. And I was like, okay, I'll go get your change. He's like, oh, no, 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 that's your tip. We're paying on here. I was like, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, thank you. Like, it's been a night. He's like, yeah, it has, hasn't it? It's like, you're good. You were great. I'm like, well, thank you. Like some people understand. <laughs> Well, I sent you I that. I when people at least understand. Yeah. Well, I sent you that picture the other night. You inspired me to tip extra well because there was a group that came for a work thing and they're like, oh, come meet us. So I brought Liam with me and this was, you know, after dinner. It was like 730 at night. He's already eaten because it's 730 at night. He's a little kid. I had already fed him like two hours before. Right. 
So I was like, well, I don't really want a meal, but I don't want to sit here and not get anything. So I tried to order churros. And at this Mexican place, like, I've tried to order them three times. Only once they have had them. (laughs) So I was like, no! (laughs) I really wanted churros. So the guy was like, well, we have fried ice cream. It's really good. I was like, fine. (laughs) Fried ice cream. So our total bill was like, two drinks and the fried ice cream was 10 bucks. So I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll also tip you 10 because. <laughs> well, we also feel it was a good, well, a lot it, of stuff. Yeah. Well, it was a group and we, I, I think we basically closed the place down because every other table was empty and I was like, we should probably go because <laughs> there's nobody here. What time does this place even close? So. Yeah. I, I, and then I didn't get up. Like like I said, we closed. And he even closed a little bit early because he got sassy. Because I was like, I had all this food up. And I was like, well, this has to go out. Because he's like, again, what, how, how are you feeling? Are you okay? Do you want do you want the truth, sir? Because I'm going to tell you no. Like, I've tried to tell him, yeah, I'm fine. And he's like, are you sure? Are you sure? Do you really want my answer? Because when I tell him no, then he like gets upset and gets all like, bleh, bleh, about it. Yeah. So don't ask me if you really don't want to hear it. But yeah. um, I was going on. I'm like, well, this needs to go out. This needs to go out. I'm working on this. I'm doing this. And then he was like, he turns to the, to the hostess and he's like, no more seating. We're closing down. He's like, she's having a rough time. Like, bitch, I told you this hours ago. <laughs> I wanted to choke him. It was literally just before close anyways. What do you mean you're closing down? We close in 10 minutes. You, I'm a couple. Like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, we shouldn't be seating people when I'm the only server. There's 10 minutes to close. Like, just oh, my gosh. Like, you want to strangle someone so bad be a server. Like, you're just, everybody in the back of the house, just like the cooks are like, Oof. I did not get out until 2.20 a.m. Oh, my gosh. Because after close, who has to clean up everything? Yeah. The servers. The only person there. The one who's getting $2 an hour yeah. has to scrub everything and clean everything. And when people leave messes under the tables, we have to get on our knees and clean them up. Management doesn't do that. Then they, then they go behind you and check your work. Oh, yeah. And just do this a little bit more. Yeah. Bruh, I'm getting between 2 and 2.20 an hour. Pay me. I'm not getting tips for this time. Yeah. Like, no maybe way. since I'm the only one here, maybe help. <laughs> oh, and what what really got me is we were started getting, like, the group texts of, like, if anybody wants to come in tonight, you won't have to do any side work. <laughs> of course, nobody's saying it, but then there's me going, I'm the closer. What do you mean there's no side work? Okay, so that means Stephanie does all the side work. Yeah. If you come in, don't have to do anything. I'll just make Stephanie do it. Got it. It's going to be a late night lit. And like, I knew that. I knew as soon as I read that, I was like, yeah, I think the managers need a management course Mm -hmm. on how to lead Mm -hmm. your team effectively. Maybe that's why nobody is showing up to work. (laughs) There's one girl, though, the one that's normally in the to go area. um, And she went and she helped in my area to serve with me for a while. As she was leaving, because he cut both of those girls at the same time. So it was just going to be me. Wow. <laughs> go go home, guys. You guys can't stay until close anyways. She's got it. Lit. 
she, the girl comes up to me and she's like, what, what else would you like me to do back here? Like that I can put away, I can clean up, I can do stuff so that you don't have so much at the end of the night. And she's like, you know, do you want me to clean this beverage station? Do you want me to do these chips? Do you want me to do these sauces? You know, and I was like, I didn't want to do too much because I knew she couldn't stay until close anyways. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I mean, if you can at least do like the beverage station and the sauces area. She goes, okay, cool. What else? And she and I looked Bless at her, her and she goes, give me another. She's like, give me at least a third side work. She's like, because I'm going to make sure that you don't have too much at the end of the night. I like I could have shed a tear. I was like, I love you. And she just like smiled. I was like, can you do chips too? She's like, got it. And she went and she went and did it. I was like, I love you. You're my hero. <laughs> but I still had to do the other side works and clean the air bar. But because of her, I wasn't there until four in the morning. Wow. So I applaud her and I praise the girl, like bow to her. And that's what management should be doing. But instead we got servers helping each other. Just glad to have three days off in a row soon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll go in. I'll go in to get a drink. And everybody goes, you want to work? Nah, I just want to enjoy this drink. Have fun at work tonight. <laughs> oh, man. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. Thank you. And stay safe out there. Watch out for the crazies. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. The music titled Teller of the Tales was provided by Kevin McLeod and can be found at incomtech.filmmusic.io.